I've been really lucky in that in my career, the majority of the people that I've worked with are people who were not in a dire situation when I got there. They were simply in a place where for the last five to 10 years, they bounced up 10%, down 10%, something like that. But they, they weren't able to sustain a growth model past the point that they're at. They, they've often been successful enough that yeah. they are proud of what they've achieved. They've been successful enough that they've been really happy to be an employer who's, who's created jobs in their community, but they've been unsuccessful with you know, figuring out what the company has to look like to be bigger. It's time for another episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling. And I have my guest today, Brian Reynolds, who has a really cool background. He ran for Congress not too long ago. Comments on markets, climate change, government policy in the future. But the key reason I wanted him on is because he says this on his LinkedIn profile. I have owned and run several companies in the $50 million space and have been hired to run business units and profit centers in the $100 million space. My role is to replace stale and ineffective business models with modern integrated sales and marketing processes. And I'm like music to my ears when I read this. So thanks for being here, Brian. Jason, it is my distinct pleasure. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And you've you've uh, already given me an introduction, which is kinder than uh, you, you know. It's it's very rare when someone gives you an introduction, and it's precisely what you spent all that time prepping on LinkedIn for. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, uh, I try and make good use of copy that I see that works, you know. So you got a couple roles here. You're a CRO of, of uh, sister companies, New Jersey Pure, Silver Rock uh, Insurance Strategies, and you're also the executive director of this organization called Climate Money Policy, which uh, talks about business models for disruptive um, right. climate change organizations. There are organizations that haven't done a good job about climate change and carbon footprints and that, and you help them out. So... Let's get into this. What issues have you seen and that clients have come to you with uh, that they're aware of that demonstrate that they are, as you say in your LinkedIn profile, stale and ineffective? You know, so I'm an individual operator and I've spent a fair amount of my career, um, basically all of my career on the uh, revenue generating side of whatever company I've been in. And that has exposed me because I haven't been particularly industry specific to a lot of different models. But the place that I seem to keep coming back to, if I'm not running a company directly, I'm being hired by some you know, small to mid-market company uh, that has stagnated. You know, it's usually not a, you know, a company that's you know, usually been around the block. And very often it's some family or founder who's gotten it as far as they can get it to and who is incredibly competent at whatever the, the actual business of the business is, but they, they're not competent to bring it any further in the business of running their business. And that's where I get dragged into it. And it, you know, it's really been a delight. There's not a lot of, you know, there's most of the companies that are out there are companies that are in this space. I mean, we, all the flashy stuff we hear about on a, a daily basis in the news, you know, they're these big Goliaths, but there's, you know, the vast majority of our economy are just companies of a certain size. They've, you know, they're small businesses basically, and they're in every kind of sector and they just, they don't quite know what the next thing is, even when they've got a good staff of, of competent people, because the owners never really had to hire for somebody who can run the company. They've had to hire for somebody who can help with a thing, whatever the thing is. 
All right. And so they've reached a point of I don't know, frustration, concern, <laughs> disappointment, right? And where they've, are they out of options when they get to you or are they just like you know, looking I've around? Been, I've been really lucky in that, the, you know, in my career, the majority of the people that I've worked with are people who were not in a dire situation when I mm -hmm. got there. They, they were simply in a place where for the last five to 10 years, they bounced up 10%, down 10%, something like that. But they, they weren't able to sustain a growth model past the point that they're at. They've often been successful enough that yep. they are proud of what they've achieved. They've been successful enough that they've been um, really happy to be an employer who's, who's created jobs in their community, but they've been unsuccessful with, you know, figuring out what the company has to look like to be bigger. Okay. And I've just been lucky enough that I've had some really good people around me who've been able to refer me to companies like this over the years and, and get us there. Okay. Very good. So you say a modern integrated sales and marketing process is the solution for uh, driving more revenue and getting these folks out of that stagnation. How does that work? What does that look like? So the, to put this into context, you know, I, I started my career in manufacturing mm -hmm. and okay. I come out of Owens Corning system. Mm -hmm. When I was with Corning, I was working with these, you know, these small mom and pop owned companies that were in a network of dealers that Corning was building and they were building this network for the first time. And so I got a lot of exposure to these companies that, that really came out of the 1980s with their sales and marketing philosophy. It was like the sales guys and the marketing guys all hated one another. It was, it was really almost a toxic brew in most cases. And you know, it just, it, it immediately rubbed me the wrong way. And so for the better part of 15 years following that, I found myself saying, well, surely there's a way to make this more seamless. And as you know, in the last 25 years, the integration of the sales process and the marketing process have, have because of, of digital, have really, sorry about that, have really been um, able to take a lot more companies who otherwise were just revolving on, you know, salesmen as savior um, mm. to take a lot of command of the process. And they've been able to do that by integrating digital marketing techniques and what have you. But what I've found to make a long answer completely unlistenable to, uh, to what I found is that when you've got a, a, a view that digital marketing is the only answer, very often companies forget that brand is at least as important as everything else, if not more important. And it's, it's unfortunate that more companies in that kind of small and middle market space don't think of themselves as brand first companies. You have to have an equal measure of that, of, of digital practitionership and of somebody who can do that last mile transaction with, with the customer that culminates in a check and a handshake. Okay. And we like the long answer over here at Cold Star. Uh, <laughs> the six second soundbite doesn't get you anywhere. It's like a piece of candy, you know, you get the sugar rush and then what? So I want the depth. So what does a typical project look like for you then? Who's an ideal client and how does that start fitting together? You know, for me, like I said a minute ago, it, it typically is a company that's had some sort of stagnation. Um, that usually comes when you've got a bunch of very, very talented people. Hmm. Who, who, who the sales first part of it isn't their thing. Um, very often in these kind of family run operations, it's the founder or 
you know, the, the number one child who becomes the great salesman for the enterprise. And that's good, but that's, you know, that's really all passion. And for an entire career, these people can be scratching their heads saying, well, why can't I find somebody just like me? Well, dope, you own the company. Nobody's <laughs> going to work as hard as you do, right? So what are you going to do to put in place a set of systems so that you can make it as easy as possible for wh whatever sales team you have to make a transaction? And so that you don't give away all your resources in service to that salesperson mm -hmm. in the event that they get hit by a bus, right? You know, what, so what's, right. the, what's the, the navigable process there? And how do you make judgment calls based on, we only have so many dollars to spend, how much of that's gonna go to brand, how much of that's gonna go to um, you know, digital tools or website, or, or even if you don't wanna do things in-house to list buys or, or what have you. Um, and then how much of that do we, you know, like, then what tends to happen is, once somebody does finally get that sense about them for these are, these are the things I should be focusing on, now they don't want to pay their salesman at all because they think they did all the work. <laughs> and the truth is that the, you know, the reality is somewhere in between all these things. It's not like one eliminates the need for the others. Right. So what you'd asked a second ago was, well, how do you, how do you find these guys? You know, I've been lucky enough that I've been introduced to a bunch of them. But for me, the right profile is uh, you know, family-run, or founder-run entity, uh, you know, something that's in the low tens of millions in revenue because that means that they've got enough money to invest in some things. They're not trying to figure out where payroll's coming from. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're stuck and they don't want to spend, you know, $300,000 to get uh, some seasoned, uh, you know, Harvard Business School grad to come in and, and rejigger their whole company. They wouldn't trust that person even if they could afford yeah. it. You know, so I, I fit into that kind of space in between those things where they've come to the realization they need to trust somebody. And mm -hmm. you know, I've just been lucky enough that over, over the last 15 years or so, I've been able to navigate some of the family politics stuff such that it's all kind of second nature now. Okay. Yes. And all yeah. very important points that you've brought up, the, the white knight syndrome for the salesperson, the founder fuel taking that even that son you know of, of the founder so far as a salesperson but then not being able to scale because it's like where do I find how do I clone me right and then that trust yeah, issue where who can I trust to bring in an, uh, I remember uh, 1994 to 1996 I took this thing called the operations management program at college and uh, they told me you're not going to get to fly the plane every day they will not let you into the cockpit particularly when I was 23 years old you know soon enough yep. I was actually allowed in the cockpit and you know, some days you could fly around but sometimes there's that friction there uh, where an owner founder they think they know everything of that I mean you know you, you watch shows like The Prophet or even uh, Gordon Ramsay um, yep. kitchen nightmares show where the guy is in his own way and it's so bad yep. you know i like to say if marcus lamotis came to me in my business and said jason i need you to get in a pink bunny suit and go out there on the sidewalk and <laughs> hop around and say this to these people out there and that will drive sales for you i wouldn't like it but i would get in the damn bunny suit and go do it because then i could say well it worked or it didn't right i wouldn't just say no that's never going to work when I, so what do you have to do to get these folks to come around and and uh, or anything you know it, it's funny because the the real the lesson that i learned the hard way is you don't ever win a fight so you mm -hmm. really have to be tactical about what conversations you have okay. because what's going to happen in in one of these scenarios especially if there's more than one family member that's actually in leadership is that 
at some point, they're going to all leave and go have a meal on Sunday night or mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving or, or, and you're not invited to that one. Right. <laughs> and they're going to go ahead and they're going to rehash whatever it was that you suggested. And they're going to have, you know, that powwow that families have and they go, is this right for the way that we want to do this? And no matter how persuasive your argument was, if it doesn't hold up in a, in a bulletproof way, um, you're toast at that point. So the only real way to do it is to navigate the family through a process of discovery where they can mm-hmm. figure out, oh, you know, we, we really don't know anything about X and here's why we should trust Brian or some outsider's opinion. And it has to be really evidence-based. And if possible, and this is something that I've been really lucky being that I've had experience across a, a few different sectors, I've been really lucky that I can approach problems and say, well, you know, in manufacturing, they do it this way and it tends to work out well. Or, or in yeah. finance, they do it this way. And it's, it's so out of left field that they don't have one of those stock answers huh. in their back pocket. You know, right. I mean, like as a business owner, we all have like 30 to 50 scripts, right? Somebody mm-hmm. comes to you and want to raise, here's what you say. Somebody, tell, you know, your supplier says, oh, it's not going to be there by Tuesday, here's what you say. Like, and you've got all those scripts in your back pocket, you know how to respond. And what I've found is that it, I've been lucky enough that my background is with different sets of experiences allowed me to pull out these stories that they don't have a natural script for. And as a consequence of that, they, they open up and they listen a little bit. And if I can just get them to kind of make that decision on their own, then we're good. But you can't fight that, those conversations, you know, over Thanksgiving dinner. That's, you're not there. <laughs> Yeah. Instant loss. <laughs> That's the case. I mean, it's like, you just don't yeah. even bother. Like, what are, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. You know, okay. it's funny when, when I was talking with the owner founders of New Jersey Pure, where I'm, I'm engaged yeah. now, I, I originally received a, uh, a request from the, the son, the Skyon of the business. He said, okay. Hey, you know, when he found out that I was free last year, uh, he said, Hey, c- come work for me. And I immediately said, well, well no, I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like what, well, how could I possibly accept that? And he said, well, come on, come on, come on. I said, here's what we'll do. If you really want me to work with you, you need to introduce me to your mom. You know, you need to introduce me to your sister. You need to introduce me to the rest of the family and they've got to be on board with it because otherwise, yep. you know, like we're all just setting ourselves up for failure here. And right. that, that's the type of thing you have to do. Right. And yeah, and the guy who invites you in might be on your side, but he's got to deal with those family members. And if they view you as a threat or somebody out to make them look bad or yep. anything like that, man, you can get squished in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, you can't win. You, know, there's, you, you really need that kind of buy-in that it's almost like, you know, AA isn't out to convince alcoholics they're alcoholics they're there to help you once you've come to the realization on your own. You know what mm. I mean? It's, it's that sort of a thing. Once they get there on their own, then you can help them. But you, you, you simply can't help people that, that, like, what's the point of trying to convince them that they need help? Right. right. Yep. So do you mostly get referrals for, for starting these engagements or do you actually do some marketing and get out there in front of your target market? Well, you know, serendipity, like I've taken lumps just like everybody else has, but serendipity has <laughs> been pretty good to me. Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago, the, this most recent engagement, you know, it's, it's the short answer to the question is I, I mostly get lucky, yeah. but to give you a, a perfect example, about two years ago, I was in a uh, meeting, uh, I was helping out this marketing firm. They were really more like a, uh, a print shop and they wanted to become a, a marketing company. And we were working with them with, you know, client acquisition. And 
this company comes in and talk to him about an RFP that had been out. Company mm. comes in, we put a proposal together. It did not go particularly well. And it, you, could, you could diagnose right there in the meeting that the reason it wasn't working is because they didn't, the, the, the potential client didn't have any idea what any of the nouns or the verbs meant in marketing. And they were too proud to admit it. Uh-huh. It was like, well, well and we were doing all these check-in questions with them. Hey, does this sound right to you? Does this, you know, like that sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It sounds great. No questions. Don't have any questions. So of course that blank look. (laughs) It was a mess. Well, they left and I turned to the team and I said, guys, you have no idea just how, uh, how huge an opportunity you have. I said, well, what do you mean? That went horrible. I said, because those guys who just left, they were market leaders. And if they didn't understand anything you were saying, there's some competitor of theirs who's out in the space right now, who if you can get in front of them, you can really substantially shift what's, what's happening in the space and you can positively uh, explode the size of, the, of one of their competitors. And so it took about a year founding, finding this other company who let us in the door and we just said, hey, look, we know you didn't ask for this appointment. But look, give me five minutes just to tell you why we think your space and your sector and, and this sector in this geography is completely messed up. And if it's anything at all like the way that you think about it, then let's talk about working together. Well, five minutes, you know, it's the classic story. Five minutes turns into 45 minutes. And at the end of it, the guy says, that's absolutely right. When can we get started with something? And a year after that, he recruited me in the work for him directly. And that's, uh, that's what I'm doing here now. Okay. Uh, the, so being patient, being patient and picking your battles, as you say, seems to be really important to get big wins there. Uh, is there another success story you could share with us? Well, um, I'd I tell you, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a success story, but it's one okay. of the ones I'm most proud of it happened a few years ago. So I'm, I'm in New Jersey here and, a few years ago, um, I was working at a not-for-profit that supported the manufacturing sector. Um, they're a good company with a good bunch of people there. And manufacturing is the fourth or fifth you know, largest industry in New Jersey, believe it or not. It's like behind farming and tourism mm-hmm. or something like that. Anyway, their business is essentially consultancy-based. You know, they would go out and, you know, for nominal fees just to keep the lights on, make sure that best practices were being taught to manufacturers everywhere. And as a small manufacturer will know, one week or two weeks with the lights going out, that's all the profit you were going to see that year. So it's a, it's a dire emergency. So when Hurricane Sandy hits, and and literally turns off the power grid for two weeks. Everybody went into crisis lockdown mm-hmm. mode. Every consulting gig got canceled. Uh, and, you know, customers were you know just trying to get machines back and working. And I designed uh, in conjunction with the thing that I'm proud of is I designed in conjunction with uh, this uh, this uh, consultancy, this this manufacturing supportive group, our hurricane response. We got buy-in from the state. Hmm. We did get some some funding from from the state to at, you know do an emergency. Here's what you guys need to be doing next for the client base, and it was spectacular and really well received. And because everything was a disaster, that was the last thing I did. And then they looked at me and said, "Well, that, that, I'm very glad that you did that. You're fired." You know, so hmm. it was 
because because all the money was gone. You know? Yeah, we were everybody was just relying on the cash that they had in the you know uh, deep in the piggy bank, and that was okay. Hmm. I knew that that was coming. It was a not for profit. Everybody that they were working with was gone, um, and we had to do something that was relying on the state to fund. So I was proud that we were able to get something out there, and I'm I'm still good friends with those guys uh, to this day. As a matter of fact, they'll typically refer in a client to me maybe once every year or eighteen months, who's become somebody really meaningful to work with. But you know, God, it's it's an awful tough space. It's an mm -hmm. awful tough space. Okay, what is one thing that you wish that these company owners knew? If you could just implant an idea into their heads before you reach them. Um. The thing that they really need to worry about is what happens if somebody gets hit by a bus, mm. you know, more than anything else, these guys rely on personality and there is so much tied up in personality and there's so much inertia to do things the way they've always been done uh, in companies in this space. The thing that really hurts them <clears throat> is not considering all the, the obvious you know, inevitable, frankly, problems that pop up. I mean, once you get past a certain point in age, you know that there aren't any good surprises anymore. You know, mm. like all the surprises, Christmas is gone. You know, all the surprises you're going to have in life after you're like 40 years old, they, they usually all start with screeching tires. Mm. Right? They're not good. Um, but people run their companies as though, <clears throat> you know, just nothing bad's ever going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. You know, like my best salesman, his mother will never get sick. He'll never need to take care of her. You know, my uh, accountant who knows all the ins and outs of our very niche business, like he's never going to retire. Like it amazes me the things that nobody bothers to consider. I mean, in a long enough time scale, you lose everybody. Yeah. Nobody stays with you forever. And it's usually out of left field when they go. And I'm not just talking about succession planning. I'm talking about, you know, do you, do you have a system in, that's in place for something that's sudden? Have you really thought about your business in a way that separates the business from the actual tasks involved, that, mm -hmm. that builds systems around it? And if these guys can do a bit more of that, make all the difference in the world. Now, if they had that, then you wouldn't need me to come in and really help dissect how much of our time is going to be brand? How much of our time is going to be marketing? How much of our time is going to be sales? And, and then, you know, from a technical standpoint, how, how do we use each of those three very different disciplines to complement one another instead of tear one another apart? But if you did, then growth becomes a formula that's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard machine, but it's a machine nonetheless that you can operate. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Uh, so a little more contingency planning, a little more understanding that uh, things disintegrate over time. And <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't pay attention, they will disintegrate on you and it'll be a surprise. Tuesday afternoon, horrible news. So, yeah. so what should people do if they've been watching or listening and realize, hey, I like this Brian guy. Uh, how can they reach you? Where should they go? Uh, so, you know, if, if anything I said makes sense, uh, if you want to have a conversation at any point about, you know, getting a check-in, um, you know, on some of your own processes, I'm happy to talk with anybody. You can reach me at brian at climatemoneypolicy.com or brentals at njpure.com. I'm happy to return any of your correspondence. 
you know, like it, it just, it kills me to see, you know, I, my family were all entrepreneurs. You know, we, we made wallpaper in North Jersey. My grandfather had a textile plant in the Philippines. You know, we've always been in the business of making stuff and selling stuff to, to other people. And I've been there, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to have the, the father-son dynamic, to have the grandfather-father-son dynamic, to have all that stuff at play. And it can be really hard. And, and it's funny, I was just saying this to somebody the other day. Once a family has gotten to the point where they are up and down a little bit and not really growing, that's where all the relationships really get strained. Mm. Because what starts happening is nobody wants to put a stake in the ground and say, here's the goal anymore. Because the second one family member says, here's the goal, and the family can't get there, it becomes a finger pointing match. And if that's happening, it's probably not because they didn't try hard. It's probably not because mm. they didn't end well. It's probably because they just didn't have a skill that somebody needed to have. So if that sounds like a, a situation that any of the listeners have been in, I'm happy to talk with anybody about, you know, here, here might be the lever to get out of there. Um, because usually it just involves a different perspective on things and, and an acknowledgement that there's some, some other human being that you can bring into the equation who maybe can help you out. Okay, fantastic. My guest today has been Brian Reynolds, CRO of New Jersey Peer and Silver Rock Insurance Strategies. Appreciate you being here. Some great stories. You got it, bud. Thanks so much. You bet.